Thank you, Tim. And I want to reiterate what he was just saying. I, I've seen a lot of churches involved in uh, Lads to Leaders or, or LTC, and truly these are fantastic programs. Uh, these children are developing uh, skills that will help them throughout their lives, but that also help the church for many, many years to come. Uh, I, I've, I've worked at, uh, at camps uh, with, uh, with different young people, and those who are active in programs like this, like, it's amazing how well prepared they are to get up and to speak, to study scripture, to understand it, to teach it to other people, to live it out. And so if you possibly can, I want very much to encourage you, get involved. Uh, it's a wonderful program. I'm glad we're doing it here. And, I would, uh, I, uh, and I'm, I'm thankful to all of those who are involved in making it a reality. It's, it's extremely important. Um, one thing that I love about it is you have these young people who they don't really know yet what they're good at. Uh, they don't know what they're going to excel in. They don't know. And so they, they try a lot of different things and they end up seeing, you know, what, uh, what, they're, what they have uh, gifts and talents for, what they can grow in, what types of things they enjoy. And, and something I think can be tragic is as we grow older and as we age as Christians, we tend to think that learning new things and developing new skills and talents and, and even gifts, uh, well, that's something for little kids that it lads to leaders, right? That's not for, that's not for me. Uh, that's not my skill. That's not my talent. That's not my gift. I've heard those words a lot, you know, when people are, are challenged. We need, new, we need new deacons and elders, in fact, there's an often, uh, there's a common complaint I know that preachers have had that a lot of times the men who would like make the best elders are the ones who look at themselves and don't think they're qualified to be elders. They're the ones who look at themselves and think, oh, I could never do that. I'm not good enough. And, and sometimes you're like, no, maybe you should try it. Uh, but sometimes that can happen, whether it's teaching a Bible class. Oh, I don't think anyone would listen to me. I'm not, I'm not good at that type of thing. Or whether it's leading singing or leading prayers, or whether it's serving others, getting involved in the community, whether it's some of uh, the mission work that we're doing here, people can very often reject callings because they don't feel that they have the skills, or they don't feel that they have the gifts. If you would, open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 3, and we're going to read about a guy who wanted to reject his calling because he didn't think he had the gifts, and he didn't think he had the skills. His name is Moses. Uh, last week we stopped, uh, we were looking at Joseph, and we got to the end of Genesis, and a lot has happened from Genesis to Exodus. Uh, there's been like a couple hundred years here uh, have transpired from Genesis to Exodus. Um, if you remember how Genesis ended, Joseph and his family ended up in Egypt because of uh, a famine. And uh, so the whole family ended up traveling to Egypt and things were going pretty well for them there. The problem is things went too well for them there. They grew, they multiplied, they were blessed. I mean, that's what God told creation to do, right? You know, told people to do. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Well, they were fruitful, they multiplied, and they filled Egypt. And uh, Pharaoh, because of this, hundreds of years later, who doesn't know Joseph, doesn't know these people, he starts to think, you know what? This is problematic. Um, because what if we get into a war with some country and we need all of our resources to, to defeat this country? And here we have all of this huge group of strangers in our land. They can team up with our enemies. They could defeat us. So what's he going to do? Well, let's make them slaves. 
Let's try to wipe out their population by killing their male children. Let's, uh, let's throw their babies into the Nile River. And all of a sudden, Egypt starts these horrible and intense persecutions against the Hebrews with slavery and death, genocide. Like, that's what Egypt is doing, and Moses is born in those tumultuous circumstances. He has a fantastic and incredible story of his birth, though. He is saved as a child. He is, uh, in order to spare his life, he's put in the Nile River and, and with prayers and hope that God will save him, and eventually that's what happens. He's in a basket uh, in the Nile River. Pharaoh's daughter finds him. He ends up growing up in Pharaoh's household, and he ends up uh, learning all of the, the edu- you know, for the education of Pharaoh's household, enjoying all of the splendor of Pharaoh's household. That is until he, as about a 40-year-old man, has learned a lot about his people, the Hebrews, and in an effort to defend them, sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and he kills that Egyptian and buries him in the sand. All right, word spreads about this. Moses has to flee. He flees and spends about the next 40 years of his life as a shepherd out in Midian, uh, working kind of by himself, you know, not in the spotlight, doing his own thing, until we get to about Exodus chapter 3, where there's this bush, and it's burning, and the bush is not consumed, and something strange is going on with that bush, and Moses has to go check it out. So here's what we're going to uh, do. We're going to quickly look at uh, Exodus chapter 3 and, and, and chapter 4, and we're going to see... God's call of Moses and Moses' response to it. Uh, Look with me at Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6. This is the voice coming from the bush. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people that are in Egypt. That's like the slavery and the death that we were talking about. And have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. And behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Notice what God is telling Moses right there. I've heard about the misery of my people in Egypt, and I care. And I have come down to deliver them. I'm going to deliver them from their oppressors. I'm going to free them from the Egyptians, and I'm going to give them a beautiful, spacious, bountiful land flowing with milk and honey. And Moses, up to this point, has to be thinking, well, fantastic. Do that. You're good at that type of thing. Uh, Everything God has said so far is what I, like verse 8, I have come down to deliver them. It's like, great, deliver them. The trouble uh, arises when you get to verse 10. This is how God finishes telling Moses his plans. He says, therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. So God says, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to do it. You think, well, wait a minute. I would, let's, let's let me just kind of like, you know, stay to the side and cheer you on. And you go free the people out of Egypt. You'd be better at it than me, I promise. Uh, this is something we've talked about a couple of times so far. How often God uses people to do things that God could clearly do better. Um, here God is going to use Moses to be this, this leader and to lead the people out of there. And so Moses, upon hearing this, <coughs> he's going to begin a series of um, objections, or at least a series of, uh, 
of further questions, trying to make sure God really knows what he's doing here. Uh, Moses is going to ask five questions, or bring up five uh, potential roadblocks. The first one is going to be in verse 11, when Moses says to God, wait a minute, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? He's like, that's the, I'm, I probably shouldn't show my face back in Egypt, if you remember what happened the last time I was there. I've been a shepherd for 40 years. That's not really um, what you would expect, you know, from a great leader, which, by the way, God actually does use shepherds to be great leaders. That happens. Um, but, but Moses is thinking, like, I'm, I'm a nobody. I could look at Moses and I could say, you actually seem like a pretty good representative. Like, you were 40 years in, in Egypt, gives you some ends there. You are a Hebrew. You've learned, you know, humility and, and over the last 40 years being a shepherd. Out, like, you, you seem like you, could, you, you actually could be pretty good. But that's not the way Moses thinks about it. He asks the question, who am I? And then the next question he asks after God answers that one is, but who are you? Uh, the next thing that Moses says is in verse 13. He says, uh, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they will say, Well, what is his name? What shall I tell them? He's like, The first question is, Who am I? And the next question is, Okay, but who are you? Uh, and God gives him an answer to that one. And then after a rather lengthy answer, chapter 4 and verse 1, you have the next question that Moses asks, the next potential problem. He says, But what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. It's like, what if I go there and they say, no, you're a liar and I don't believe you. That's a problem. What am I going to do about that? Uh, Moses is trying to think all these things through. And so God gives him an answer there, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. And then Moses says, you know, I've never actually been that good at speaking. Uh, when you look at verse 10 of chapter 4, after the Lord responds, Moses says, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent uh, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Uh, apparently that's not my problem, being slow of speech and tongue. Uh, I need to work on slowing down a little bit. But, uh, but anyway, uh, uh, Moses, not that I'm eloquent, I'm just saying I talk too fast. But anyway, uh, Moses says, wait a minute, I can't, I can't, like, I've never been able to speak at any time in my past. I can't speak now. How am I going to be the one who goes to Pharaoh and, and does this? And so God gives him an answer there. And then finally, verse 13 of chapter 4, Moses said, Please, Lord, now send this message by whomever you will. Uh, basically, that's his way of saying, just send somebody else. Like, there are better options than me. Um, that's when uh, the Lord, for the first time, starts to get a little bit upset at, at Moses and his reluctance. But there's something interesting about Moses' reluctance. And it's the thing that I talked about all the way at the very beginning when I mentioned sometimes like the people who would make the best elders or the people who you would want to take on a new ministry, they're sometimes the people the most reluctant to do it. Um, reluctance isn't always a problem when it comes to taking on a new call. As a matter of fact, it could potentially be a good thing. It's something that pops up from time to time when God does call people to, to be prophets. Uh, when God calls Gideon, Gideon recognizes, I can't do this on my own. I need to make absolutely certain that you're going to be with me. So he asks God for a couple of signs to prove that God will be with him. That seems like a, like a fairly uh, reasonable request. Um, or, or Jeremiah. When God calls Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, well, I'm not very good at speaking. I'm just a youth. 
He, he says something similar to Moses, but then he says, but I'm too young to be doing this. And God has to encourage him and, and to build him up, saying, no, I actually can use you. Or Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, we often focus on the here I am, send me part. But right before that is, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I am undone. You know, like, he looks at himself and he realizes how woefully unworthy he is. Being reluctant to adhere to God's call isn't necessarily a bad thing. I'm going to quote uh, Jerry Seinfeld for a minute. Um, Jerry Seinfeld was doing a comedy bit uh, about uh, being president. And he was talking about the fact that anyone who thinks they should be president has already shown that they're too insane to be president. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a remarkable thing to think about. He, asked the, he says, uh, you know, imagine asking the question, okay, who should be the most powerful person in America? Who should be the commander and, and the chief of the armed forces? Who should be the leader of the free world? You know, I got to say, that sounds like me. Um, it just seems like something I would be good at. I can't think of anyone better than me to be in charge of absolutely everything. Um, but, but here's his point. is If you're thinking like, oh, God needs someone to stand up to the Egyptians, to free his people, to lead them to the promised land. Well, it makes sense that he would ask me. Uh, you, know, you would want Moses to demonstrate at least a little bit of reluctance there to show that he's taking the call seriously, to show that he actually realizes this is the big thing God is asking him to do. And so it would, be, it would be a red flag if God called you to ministry, God called you to be an, an elder or something like that, an elder or something like that, and you uh, approached it as though, well, yeah, God probably does need me right here. Um, it's helpful to recognize when God doesn't need you, but that God is calling you to, to partner with you anyway. And that seems to be what God is doing with Moses here. So when Moses does begin to reject, he says, well, who am I? God doesn't say, Moses. Moses, you're the greatest guy there ever was. You can do this. What, Mo, what God instead says, when Moses says, but, but who am I? I'm unworthy. God doesn't say, no, you are perfectly worthy. He says, I will be with you. And then when Moses says, but who are you? God answers him. I am the eternally present one. I am the I am. That's who you, that's who you say sent you. The one who, no matter what time you are talking about, whether it's five million years in the future or five million years in the past, he is always I am. That's the one who has sent you. Uh, no one else, by the way, can really claim that title, but God can. And when Moses says, but what if they don't believe me? God says, all right, throw your staff on the ground. He throws it down, turns into a snake. He says, pick it up. He picks it up. He says, stick your hand in your, in your jacket. He sticks it in there. He pulls it out. It's full of leprosy. Puts it back in, pulls it out, and it's clear again. He says, there's two signs. I'll give you a lot more. In fact, if they still don't believe you, get yourself a pot of water from the Nile River. Pour it out, and it'll be blood. God's going to do a bunch of signs. He's going to demonstrate beyond the shadow of any doubt that he actually is with Moses. And when Moses says, but I don't, I'm not very good at speaking, God says, I'll be your mouthpiece. I made your mouth. Don't you worry about that. We'll, I will be with you. It can be taken care of. And when Moses says, just send somebody else, God responds by saying, I'm still going to send you, but I'll send Aaron along with you. Aaron can be there with you. He can help speak for you. Um, you don't have to do it alone. And I think that's actually a really important reminder. When you do have those calls to uh, service in the church, to ministry, to help with something maybe you're unfamiliar with, to teach a class maybe you haven't taught before, to lead prayers, things like that, it's helpful not only to recognize that God is with you, 
but also sometimes to have people in there with you also, to have a community that you know cares about you and loves you. God sent Moses with Aaron because a partnership can be really helpful when you have something like that going on. In knowing that every person in here is on your side and is on your team and is a partner with you can also be really, really helpful in taking on new tasks and growing in your service and ministry to the church. So as we draw our lesson to a close, Moses was given a call that was pretty monumental. Uh, this is not an easy thing to march up to the, to the most powerful man on earth and say, hey, you know how your economy is based on owning these people? Well, I'm going to need them, uh, so good luck you know, picking up the pieces of, of your broken empire. Like, that's what Moses is going to be saying to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's not going to be okay with that. And he knows Pharaoh's not going to be okay with that. But God says, I will be with you. And I'm more powerful than any problem that will arise. I'm far more powerful than Pharaoh. And I will give you incredible signs and abilities so that you can accomplish this task. And even if you think you are inadequate, even if you say those words, I don't have that talent. I don't have that skill. I don't have that gift. Trust for a minute and see what God can do. And recognize that you're not alone because you have God with you. You also have a community of believers here with you who want you to succeed. So don't be afraid to take on new challenges. We have our children and lads to leaders take on new challenges and new uh, responsibilities. Well, let's show them how to do that also. Let's model that as adults. Take on new responsibilities in the church. Try new things and see what God can do with it. And if there's anyone here who is considering your call, recognize there are certain ministries that you might be called to. But also, everyone has the same calling to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that calling is yours right here and right now. And if there's anyone who would like to answer that call, if there's anyone who would like to become a Christian this morning, having your sins washed away in baptism, naming Jesus as Lord of your life from this point forward, please let that be known. You can either tell one of our elders in the library in the back, or you can sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.